The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today I thought I'd deviate from the world of the spirit that's the theme of the show to talk a little about the spirit of the world, evidence of the consciousness of creation we seem to be hell-bent on destroying by the middle of this century. One area that gets too little attention in this country is the demise of the insect world. If you're as old as I am, you no doubt remember a time when driving at night in the summer invited a windshield full of insect bodies drawn in by your headlights to meet their fate before your very eyes. Today, in most places, a nighttime drive has no such results because there are far too few insects left to threaten your visibility. In Germany, where they are keeping track of such things, some 60% of the insect population has disappeared due to habitat loss and environmental pollution. Should we be missing the bugs? Well, here to tell you three stories about insect consciousness is return guest Janice Goff. Now, I can't say Janice loves all insects by any means, uh, but today she offers three remarkable stories on the intelligence of insects, especially bees who rely on her during difficult times of the year when she puts out sugar water for their nourishment. After all, it's a hostile world out there in the deserts of Arizona. Janice, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi, Lee. Thank you. I thought we'd start first by proving that there are some insects you don't uh, really hanker to uh, develop. And one of them is the story you told me about the what a blister beetle can do to you. Uh, yeah, there's there's several insects that we wonder what they're for. You know, everything does maintain a balance, but some of them are so... Um, uh, they're not on our favorite list, so the blister beetles are one of them. They're just little tiny black and red beetles, um, and they'll if they crawl across you even, they leave a string of blisters, and we seem to have uh, tons of them this year. Uh, they're one of the unusual things that are showing up in the desert this year. Uh, I guess they're on a time schedule, you know. They don't show up every year like this. So, and the the desert scorpion, I've had an encounter with that with our our terrier, uh, Alfie, and he got stung on his forehead by a desert scorpion. They're like eight inches long, six, eight inches long. They're huge, and they're black and yellow or black and red and yellow, and they definitely show you their color, but they're, they're a little frightening if you, you know aren't used to insects like that. Um, well, we've also, well, it was a close and en- close encounter with Alfie, wasn't it? I mean, uh, that was, he, that uh, was real, real scary. Yeah. He, yeah. he stung him above his eye, locked his whole face up. He, um, just about died. We pulled him through that with lots of tincture and different salves and whatnot. Mm. little um, natural antihistamines, um, things like that. So, and, and regular scorpions, which are much smaller but are also poisonous, um, 
you can hunt them at night with a with a black light, can't with you? With a black light, and I do. Yeah, and I don't kill them, but I do cut their tails off. So because that's <laughs> that's what hits us, you know, is those tails. Yes. And I've been stung several times by them, and they uh, sticking my fingers under wood and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They paralyze your wherever they bite. They paralyze and put poison in your bloodstream and. Blah, 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 blah. So I just figured if they can live without their tails, they're welcome to, you know. <laughs> On the other hand, you, <laughs> you have built uh, little shelters for tarantulas because they eat the, the scorpions, that's right? That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've built little houses for them and the lizards. The lizards eat scorpions as well and roaches. So <laughs> I provide some shelter for different it's not like we don't have enough rocks around here but i do go ahead and fix little formal houses for them like and they do use them so i'm tickled to see that well let's talk about some happier insects Uh, (laughs) um i guess or at least really interesting stories and the one you the first one you told me about was this man who uh, developed uh, a friendship with a wasp with one particular wasp. Oh, tell, yes. tell us that. Um, that. That was my friend Francis. I always considered him uh, sort of uh, the patron saint of bees. There actually mm-hmm. is a patron saint of beekeepers, and I didn't even know about St. Ambrose for many, many years. But Francis did a little experiment. He lived here in the Sedona area. He had a wasp build a paper wasp nest outside his front door and after and the wasp didn't attack them um, they're usually pretty angry and protective but anyway Francis would go out and rub the um, with his finger just rub on one of the egg casings that the mom bee had made and when this bee came out was it a bee um, or a wasp? Francis it was a wasp, I'm sorry. Nice. Yep. When the wasp um, arrived, she was yellow and black, and she came to hunt Francis. So I, I just always thought that was totally amazing that you could make a relationship with a wasp like that. We were raised with yellow jackets, running from them, you know, eradicating their hives and all that kind of stuff. But to know that you could actually make a relationship with, uh, you know, basically a predator insect was just fascinating to me. And that that wasp would come and hunt Francis. It actually did come back and build its paper wasp (laughs) nest outside Francis's window when it was old enough then to create its own family. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that was totally, totally fascinating to me. That, and and that, he was able to recognize it as the same yes. wasp. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And would it land had, land on his hand or something like that? Um, it would come and sit on his on his shoulder or his the front of his uh, shirt wow. and clean itself and look at Francis in the eye and you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah totally totally fascinating. Wow. Now, um, just before the show, you told me about the bees of um, in Paris. Tell, tell us that story. 
Oh, the Notre Dame. Yeah, that was considered a miracle uh, when the Notre Dame fire happened. Um, I didn't realize that there was like 700 beehives in Paris. I guess it's a little-known fact about that area. But in the ceiling of Notre Dame, there were hundreds of thousands of bees in their hives, all in lots of nicks and crannies up there. Anyway... Those bees did not die, and the people were thrilled about that. There were several stories that came out about that, about how the the people were, you know, would hunt the bees and watch for them, and they were just really happy. Those bees survived, and people saw them sitting on fence railings and other rooftops waiting for the fire to go away so they could continue living their life and, you know, that sort of thing. But that was actually uh, considered a miracle mm. of that fire. That it was, all of it was a fierce, fierce fire. Uh-huh. The weight of the honey in the roof of, the, of Notre Dame must have been amazing, though. I mean, uh, wow, beehives can get pretty, pretty heavy when, they're, when the honey's collected. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I didn't think of that. I wondered if it... Wonder if it dripped, dripped, dripped. <laughs> I don't <from> know. <laughs> well, we'll never know that, I guess. But some some uh, near death experiencers have talked about this golden light, almost honey like that flows down. Maybe maybe there was something going on there, but with real bees and real honey that uh, hasn't been uh, discussed yet by the end of years. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true, huh? Yeah. Well, t- tell us about the um, the uh, funeral uh, of a beekeeper. What that whole story? Oh, because that's that was fascinating such a good too. Memory. That was such a good memory. We we have so many fascinating memories that when they happen when we're younger, they're like mysteries. And that one was a mystery for me, but I never forgot it. So one of uh, uh, an elderly man passed away. We went up into the into the woods to a little wildwood church up in the country and the for his funeral. And well actually it was for his wake. And somebody said uh, to Daddy, who's gonna go tell the bees? And another man said, I'll go tell the bees. And so I asked Daddy later what what was that about? I was like eight years old. And he mm-hmm. said, well, he'll go and he'll take a black bow and put on the beehives. And that that was the first time I really realized that the man had beehives, that he was a beekeeper. Um, and then, so several days later, we were at the cemetery for the burial. And the preacher was doing his thing, and they were singing and playing their guitars and banjos and whatnot. And then we heard this noise that sounded like, the only thing I can say it sounds like is like a a semi-truck going down the interstate. And we heard this noise coming, and this whole swarm of bees came and landed on his casket before it was lowered into the ground. And I I just, that was just absolutely mind-blowing to me, that they came to say their farewell. 
And other people had said not only how much he loved the beast, but how much they loved him. And other people would go with him to collect honey and have to wear their suits and suit up, but he never did. They they loved him, and they surrounded him. So they came to, you know, bid their respect and their love for him by showing up before mm-hmm. he was buried. And that, I'll, I'll never forget that. That was fascinating. And then years later, oh, gosh, after I grew up, I heard a story about in another country that's tradition. And I don't remember if it's Romanian or where, but when a beekeeper dies, somebody goes and tells the bees and puts a black bow on the beehives so that they know that their beekeeper is going to be changing or that their beekeeper has died. I had no idea that that was actually a tradition. Hmm. And now the culture that you were growing up in, we were, tell us what, uh, what, what is the, uh, I mean, is it possible that a Romanian story could have crossed over into, uh, into the South like that? Well, I don't know. You know, we've got immigrants from all over, uh, down there and down South we had French and, um, French Cajun, we had Indian German, so yeah, I guess so possibly. Never really thought about that. I don't know, um, you know, what original nationality this particular family was from. We just, they they just all looked like us and sounded like us, so I have no idea (laughs) where they really came from. But the, but the but the uh, obviously the um, that incredible communication between the beekeeper and the bees, uh, you know, is possible under I suppose anywhere that that you have a, a sympathetic beekeeper and and it just it just is a, a, such an amazing story that they would all all the bees you know would uh, come flying in and land on the coffin like it, that. It really is. Lee, there's such a connection to the divine uh, in in the uh, species. You know, the females, they've got 16 pair of chromosomes, and the males only have 16 chromosomes, not pairs. Hmm. So the males are, are all unfertilized eggs of the mother, and they're born just like Jesus. To me, that is like a a mega major connection to the, you know, to the divine. And it's another way, in my way of thinking, that God puts himself here on earth. We continue to have these virgin births in all of our species. Um. Mm. I was reading a few years back that there was, uh, oh gosh, if I can think of his name, he was just beatified in 2017 from Detroit, oh, Father Solarius, I think was his name. Mm -hmm. He He had a connection to the bees. 
you know, St. Francis um, definitely had a special relationship with animals, and this man did as well. He used to tame bees, and he would go in and calm the bees and talk to them, and they would follow him, and there was a lot of miracles uh, attributed to this uh, Father Solarius in, in our lifetime. Um there just continues to be, you know, stories like this. The patron saint of beekeepers is St. Ambrose. And when he was born, his father saw him in his crib with hundreds of bees all over the baby and on his mouth. Mm. And Faith and his father uh, just took for granted that... Um, St. Ambrose was going to grow up to be a great orator, which he did. Which he did. He he ended up being a, a wonderful preacher, leaving lots of messages from the divine, and you know, bringing lots of thing. A, a lot of things were attributed to St. Ambrose, and I, I thought he was the perfect patron saint of beekeepers. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, that's amazing. So that stories all over about their connection to the divine. The, uh, so the, the male bees are, as you said, of like virgin birth. uh, Yes. And have only half as many chromosomes. That's correct. That's very interesting because there's a guy who, uh, I think his name was Wyatt claimed to have discovered the Ark of the Covenant and blood from the crucifixion had dripped down through a crevice in the rock onto it. And he claimed, and I don't know there's any proof of this, but his claim was that he'd taken a sample of this blood, which he thought might have been Jesus' blood, to a lab in in Israel. And that's what they came up with. They came up with one set of of, um, chromosomes, which would be... Yeah, which would be a virgin birth, proof a of virgin a virgin birth. birth. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, it just gives me chills. That's so, <laughs> that's just so amazing. Just so amazing. Yes, I, I do. I love our bees. I, yeah. I have the, no idea the, why I have a connection to them, but I just totally love them. And when they need food, they come and find me. Here in the desert, when we don't have flora and fauna blooming, They'll come, knock on the window, hang out on the window. They'll find their way into the house. They'll get me up out of bed. I, it's They find me out in the desert. I have no idea why I have this connection to the bees, but I'm so thrilled because I just enjoy them so much. Well, now might be the perfect time to tell the story about your cave where you go to hang out from oh, time to time yeah. and what happened there. I, I have a, a cave up in, out in the canyon that I go and I'll stay oh, several days. Maybe I think I've stayed a week and a half at the longest out there by myself. Um, one time I went out there, it was nighttime when Kenny got me out there, dropped all my gear off. We threw it down the wall of the canyon to the next ledge where my cave was, and I made the hike down there, set up a camp, 
on and on. And now, by that time, it's dark. And I had gotten my fire going and was, you know, there's nothing to think about out there. So you get away from the world, there's nothing to think about. So you you stand there and peer into the darkness and look at the stars and coming up and, you know, think about what's next, <laughs> which is like <laughs> coffee, <laughs> something <laughs> rational. Um, and And I heard this noise down the canyon. And I got to hear, I, I couldn't figure it out. And there again, it sounded like a semi-truck in the distance going down an interstate. And then the noise kept getting closer and closer, and it came down one canyon and then came up the canyon that was right in front of my cave. And I could hear the noise getting louder and louder. I couldn't see a thing. And then I began to see all these sparkles. And I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell is that? <laughs> I'm standing out here, in the, you know, 30 miles out away from anybody and surrounded by something. I have no idea what it is. These sparkles and this noise kept coming closer and closer. Finally, they got, the, the sparkles were surrounding me. And this whole, I I started to say flock, (laughs) this whole swarm of bees, that's when I realized it was bees, went right over my head into the cave and went into a hole in the cave, just, (sighs) and so all night long, well, I was there three nights, every night I could hear the humming in the wall of the bees. And it was like a mantra, the hmm, it was, it was just, <laughs> it was totally mind-blowing, just totally mind-blowing. And when I got ready to leave, they didn't come out during the day. They didn't swarm out. They stayed up in their hole in the walls of the cave. When I got ready to leave three days later, I hiked up top. And I had to make many trips up top to haul my gear back up. Hiked up top, was waiting up top on the desert level, and all the bees came up and filled up one of the mesquite bushes that was there. Just the whole hive was there. And when Kenny came and got me, then they left and I left. And it was like, oh, gosh, it was so memorable. It was like... um, uh, probably one of the best respite experiences I've had out there to be accompanied by their mantra. It was just, just amazing, just amazing. Such good I, memories. It, it's unusual for them not to go out during the daylight hours, isn't it? I I think so. I, that they would that they would stay in the, in the cave. In the cave. All day long. All day long and all night long, yes. Huh. Yeah, because I think by nature, they go out of the hive every day to go hunt. Sure. um, Is what I assume. Yeah, totally, totally amazing to me. And the people that, like Francis with his wasp, he... um, In his younger days, he had been one that visited a beekeeper and 
they took shovels of bees and I don't know if they put the queen on him or put some sort of fair on, but it's where they take shovels of bees and coat his body with bees. Anyway, he, he was covered. I saw his picture. He was covered from head to toe with just hundreds of thousands of bees. Wow. And he said the buzzing was just made his whole body vibrate. He said but the heat and the weight was just amazing. He'll never forget how heavy those bees were and how hot he became. Lee, didn't you didn't you say you did that once as well? I, I did. There was um back when I was at the farmhouse there, um there was a swarm of bees that was um trying to move into into the house basically into uh, the siding of the house and I thought I I guess we don't want them there. <laughs> we we had kept bees and I don't know if this was a product of one of our bee boxes or whether they just come out of the woods. But it was it was a uh, the swarm had was all around the queen and it was oh I don't know about basketball size. So I put on um I had a hat with a bee veil and some gloves and I went out um to the side of the house to pick this swarm and move it somewhere else. And it was like holding, I swear it was like holding a nuclear explosion in my hands. The intensity <laughs> of these bees and their focus on the queen. I mean, I could have, I could have tossed them in, you know, in the ocean. They wouldn't have probably wouldn't Let have cared her. because they were so yeah. intense on the, on the queen herself. But the energy in that thing was just unbelievable and and I understand what he meant about the weight because it was very heavy to hold but it was it was it was quite a miracle to hold that swarm of bees in my hand and I was able to move them to a to a tree and they took off from there I can only imagine when Francis was describing the vibration that went through his body with that many bees on him um if we go back to the beginning of the world and the vibration and the energy that it took to create everything that's here, to me that's just kind of like a little tiny glimpse of the power um, of the creation of the universe. I, to- I totally believe in the connection to the divine mm. through our bees. Not well, only their buzzing, but their dance and their music and, you know, everything about them, to me, implicates the creation of the world. It's, it's just phenomenal to me. Well, there's so many mirrors, you know, to to the ultimate scene, which could be the creation or it could be uh, the light, the end time light that we wind up going into. Uh, you know, like St. Paul said, we see now through a glass darkly. Which he, I think, by glass he meant mirror. We see a reflection of reality, and then we will you see it me, face to face. You told me one time about a story at the hospital for I think it was somebody dying. Well, it had to be somebody was leaving their body, and the whole family was there. And I think you said they were praying, but you you used the words that the air became. Thick. Thick like honey. Like yes, honey. I, I have described it, that on, on that? the show. Yes, 
it was like I was I was partially on a trip to I mean this this was an amazing man his family loved him dearly he was a great grandfather everyone there was praying for him but they were saying don't worry about us we'll be fine the room was just full of love and all of a sudden this golden light and I've described it as like honey just poured down filled the room I don't know if the others saw it or not but I felt like I was participating Aww. in this guy's salvation it was just uh, oh. A mind-blowing experience. Oh, wow. Well, if he had come back, I would still want to know what gifts he, <laughs> what <laughs> gifts he brought back. And I'm sure in that experience, he imparted something to everyone in there, including yourself. Yes. I, I think uh, everyone got their, their own share of... I mean, it was... I consider it a, a perfect death, if there can be such a thing, because... I mean, it was God's love and human love just totally intertwined. And oh, to, melded to together. Me, to me, made visible in, in this golden light. I think, oh. Janice, we are just about out of time for today. Okay. I, well, thank I'm, you for that memory. Well, thank you for yours, and uh, especially for that memory when you were eight and those bees came to visit the, co- the coffin. Uh, it's astounding. Oh, uh, we know there's so little we know about the consciousness of the world. There is so little. Yes. Uh, well, thank you, yes. Janice. Yes. Janice You're Goff, welcome. for sharing your stories with us, uh, of your revelations about insects. Uh, let me remind all you telephone chaplains out there don't forget to keep using your phone or social media to check in on those folks you think might benefit from having someone to talk to during the time of uh, COVID-19 and their isolation. If you'd like to learn more about NDEs, recommend uh, our new IONS NDE radio app. Um, There are some 300 and almost 350 past shows you can listen to. Uh, You get that through the App Store, Google Play. Uh, Please stay distant from one another. Stay indoors when you can. Stay well. Until next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.